Welcome to In All Things. I'm Sierra, and I would love to welcome you into my living room to have real conversations with you about everything from forgiveness and personalities to community and discipleship. So let's imagine we're sitting on my couch and encouraging each other to seek Christ in all things. Good evening, everybody. How's it going? I know it may not be evening for you, but it's evening while I am recording this, so we're just going to go with it. Um, There was an extra Thursday in September, which meant an extra week went by with no new episode. So I am looking forward to diving into this today um, because I've been thinking about it for a while, and to be quite honest, I've been procrastinating doing it, so I'm excited. So many times throughout my episodes, you have probably heard me mention how important reading verses within context is, because it's one of the keys to understanding the Bible. I visited a church earlier this year who utilized one verse for the entire message, and it was taken so far out of context, there was absolutely no tie between his message and the Old Testament verse, like none whatsoever. The biggest issue with this is, is as a pastor or a teacher, when you are correlating your message to scripture, you're teaching from a place of authority and indicating a truth in the Bible. But if there is not proper context to that scripture that you're using, and it really doesn't correlate with your message, you're indicating a biblical truth that really isn't there. And that's dangerous. And it can be as simple as ignorance, which is definitely still dangerous for a pastor to have, but it can also easily lead into false teaching, which is a very serious and not good place to be. The Bible warns us of false teachers many times and to stay away from them. The Bible tells us that false teachers are deceiving us away from the Lord, and that is their goal. So with that in mind, it's extremely important that we understand the Bible so that we can avoid the pitfalls of false teachers. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody becomes a biblical scholar, because that's that's unrealistic. But we have the ability, as just regular people, to understand the truth of Scripture in simple and practical ways that will still help us discern the truth and avoid misleading teachers. Today, then, I want to talk about some verses we're very familiar with that have been taken out of context. The verses that I'm choosing to chat about um, are very commonly used, and they're largely used for the wrong reasons. And I'm sharing these to give an example of how we can dig into this context that I'm talking about ourselves. I'm not sharing these to shame those who have used these verses without understanding their meaning. I've misused some of them as well. So this is just something where we're going to learn together to begin understanding the Bible better. One of my favorite verses growing up was Jeremiah 29, 11, which you're most likely familiar with. Maybe it was even one of your favorite Bible verses when you were younger. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's a nice verse that is commonly used when somebody is feeling discouraged about their future or maybe even intimidated by it. High school graduates will see heaps of cards (laughs) or plaques with this verse written on it. So let's take a look at the context to understand this better. Chapter 29 in Jeremiah starts with an introduction that this is a letter from Jeremiah the prophet. 
A prophet in the Old Testament was somebody who was called by and they were used by the Lord to communicate his message, the Lord's message, to the world. God would speak to the prophets through dreams or visions, sometimes audibly, and then they would communicate what God had spoken to the audience that God gave to the prophet. We see many times in the Old Testament that prophets would sometimes even predict the future. They were given information by God for future events. So it wasn't their own doing, it was from the Lord. Examples would be um, Joseph, who predicted the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine in Egypt, years before those exact things occurred. Other examples are Daniel and Zechariah. When you read their books in the Bible, many of their prophecies are related to the end times and the return of Christ. So anyway, Jeremiah 29 opens with this introduction that the prophet Jeremiah is writing a letter to the exiles in Babylon. And I'm going to start reading in verse 4, which is the start of that letter, through verse 14. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back into this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. We can see from this whole passage that verse 11 is a part of that prophecy. Through Jeremiah, God is telling these exiles that he has plans for them. He knows what they are, and they will prosper and be given hope in a future. But let's talk about a few of the issues that we see after reading the surrounding verses and how it becomes a problem to use this verse to encourage everybody in today's world. First, just simply, this was not a declaration to all of humanity. Now, just because those sentences weren't directed at everybody doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for us. Of course, he has a plan for us. However, the posture that this verse often is said with is that God says this about you and me and everybody else. But these words were spoken to a group of people, not an individual, to a group of people that God had specified to Jeremiah. Another thing is in verse 10, so right before, it says that God will fulfill his promise to his people 70 years from that point. That is definitely not insinuated when people are using this verse. If we were looking at even the verse before and sending that along with verse 11 to a high school graduate, say, pretty much takes away the encouragement saying, oh, yeah, you're going to prosper in 70 years, you know? 
And finally, when we use this verse in the way it often is used, not within its correct context, we are entertaining a prosperity gospel. If you don't know what a prosperity gospel is, it is a theological belief that financial favor and physical well-being and God's blessings are God's will. And when you have faith, positivity, and give money to churches or charities, your own material wealth and well-being will grow. And because there is no other context given to Jeremiah 29, 11 when encouraging others, because it really wouldn't make sense as we just discovered, that prosperity is what is heavily insinuated. God has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. So the insinuation is that God is going to give you something. In the first chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is explaining his call from the Lord. And those verses say, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So let's say we pulled that statement that God said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. If we pulled that statement and claimed that God had said that about each and every one of us, would that be true? Is it true that God formed us in the womb? That he knew us? Yes. Is it true that he sets us apart and appointed us as prophets to the nations? Mm, maybe not, right? It's the same as Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Is it true that God has a plan for us? Yes, but the verses aren't meant to apply to every single person like we often take it to be. And what's important within this is to realize that the Bible isn't meant for us to cherry pick verses that make us feel good in a moment and use it for our own self-gratification. There are other verses that can be used in an equally encouraging way as Jeremiah 29, 11, and still be used within context. So instead of writing Jeremiah's verse on your next graduation or encouragement card, maybe consider Romans 8.28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Word-wise, it's very similar to the Jeremiah verse, but it actually holds a lot more meaning. In Romans 8, Paul is talking about all Christians. That's really important to note. Paul's letter is to the Romans, yes, but he is speaking about all believers. Vastly different than Jeremiah. Not only that, but the verse states that God works all things for the good. Not that God works all good things for those who love him. All things for the good. That means that he is going to use even difficult things for our good. And it also says that those who love him have been called according to his purpose. He has a purpose and we have been called specifically for it. And that is pretty amazing. So when we look at those two verses side by side, just looking at the words, they may be pretty similar. But when you look at the context, it is vastly different. The next verse that we're going to talk about is found in the New Testament, and it's Again, probably another familiar verse to most people. It's found in 1 Corinthians 6.19. 
And it says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. The context that we most commonly hear this verse talked about is having to do with physical health. Your body is a temple, so you should exercise, you should eat healthy, and you should take care of your body. I know people who have changed their diets because of this verse. I know people who have used this verse to motivate body movement and exercise. Another common topic that we hear this verse with is a reason to not get tattoos or piercings in the more conservative circles. But once again, we're going to take a closer look at the context of this verse to find out what it's really talking about. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians in this book, but this part is not only for the Corinthians. It is applicable to all of the believers. And that is important to know because we learned with the Jeremiah verse that that verse was only for the people that Jeremiah was writing to. So starting in verse 12, and I'm going to read through verse 20. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Food is mentioned in that passage, but definitely not in the context of eating healthily. And it says nothing about exercise. Now, let's not use that as an excuse to be unhealthy, right? And eat the junk food and not exercise, but let's also not use this verse out of its proper context. The true context and topic of this verse is strictly sexual immorality. It's not about how eating Cheetos is a sin or how sitting on a couch or even tattooing your arm is a sin. Paul is crystal clear that sexual immorality is not only a sin, it's a sin against your own body. And that's where he points out that our bodies are a temple. I believe it's really important here to understand the gravity of this passage. What does it mean that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? I talked about this in part three of my biblical covenant series. It's in um, episode 63 if you want to listen. The Holy Spirit has always needed a physical dwelling place. Before Jesus came, well, it was actually before the Pentecost, so that's after Jesus' death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit dwelt within an inner room of the temple or tabernacle. It was a place called the Holy of Holies. And at Pentecost, Jesus gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit because he was no longer going to be living on earth. And we were told that he would be our guide, the Holy Spirit would be our guide, and he would live within us. That's a pretty important connection there. Do you see why it's so destructive then to participate in sexual immorality? 
when we participate in it, we are quite literally defiling the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. It's a little mind-blowing and very sobering. When we start using this verse to talk about eating or exercise habits, we're honestly defeating Paul's purpose in this passage because his point is that sexual sin is worse than other sins. It's more defiling. It's more destructive. So to raise other behaviors like eating habits or like getting a tattoo to the same level of sexual sin is completely ignoring Paul's grave warning about sexual immorality. While I was considering verses that could possibly be used as an alternative to set the point of eating healthy, I think it's good to recognize that we don't need a Bible verse to prove or to tell us that we should eat healthy. Our bodies were created by God, and we are to use it for the glory of Him. So honestly, it should just be kind of like a natural instinct to take care of it. But the Bible does talk about gluttony and drunkenness. In Proverbs, the book of wisdom, it says, Listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. So summed up, I guess the whole point is that cherry-picking verses to fit our own agenda can really misrepresent scripture. It can disrespect scripture's true meaning, and it often falls short of the real context once we take the time to look and read about it. The great thing is, is we don't need to look at articles online or read a commentary to figure out these contexts. Not saying you can't do that, but it's not necessary. To get the full context, you just need God's word, the Bible. Read the chapter before and the full chapter of the verse you're looking at, maybe sometimes even the chapter after. Sometimes you don't need all of that. It may not be relevant depending on the book of the Bible you're in or what part, but you'll definitely need to read the surrounding verses to figure out what's going on, who's being spoken to, and what God is saying in the verse. This was a super fun episode for me to do. It's not going to be a consecutive episode series, but I would love to hear your feedback on it if you enjoyed it. Leave a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. You can leave a comment or send me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. Um, Another thing that I wanted to announce is that In All Things is officially on YouTube after being encouraged to upload that for a while now. It is on YouTube. So if you just, it's no video, but if you like listening on YouTube regularly, head on over there and subscribe to the channel, like the episodes and leave comments. So I hope you learned as much as I did today and I hope you have a great day. I'm so glad you tuned in for today's conversation. I hope you are leaving uplifted in your walk with the Lord because that is my prayer for this podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at In All Things Pod, and I would love it if you invited more friends into our conversations. You can also visit my website at inallthingspodcast.com. If this episode was encouraging to you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening platform because it helps the algorithms and it allows In All Things to be accessible to more people. See you next time.